I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2016 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, What to Look For in New Precision Hires, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations, grow opportunities for your customers, and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Well, this time of year, dealerships and their farm customers are gearing up for harvest. And while not quite as chaotic a time period as spring planting for precision specialists, it is a good opportunity to test the stamina of new hires. Looking at the results of the 2016 Precision Farming Dealer Benchmark Study, more than 85% of dealers identified hiring additional precision staff as a priority to grow business. But finding the right fit and then holding on to those people has long been a challenge for dealers looking to develop their precision business. Knowing where to look and how to properly develop talent is as much an art form as a skill, says Ken Diller. Precision Farming Network Manager at Huber Inc., a nine-store dealership group based in Pennsylvania. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, Ken details methods, motivations, and missteps when making new precision hires and how to create a true team of specialists working toward a common goal. When they asked me to speak about this particular topic, how we're going to recruit and how we're going to retain the next generation of precision farming specialists, I was like, well, I got to think about that for a while. Is it is it really any different? Now, remember, I'm coming at this from the perspective of a machinery dealer. There's going to be people in this room who are coming at this from a different perspective as being an independent precision ag dealer. But when it comes right down to it, the basics of what we're going to ask of this person really haven't changed. And from a machinery dealer standpoint, when I look at this person, I look at the same things needed for this specialist as I'm going to need for my shop technicians in the coming months. It was the same thing as Jed was talking about before, how we've, we, the ultimate goal is to move all of this into our service departments because it's just going to be exactly like a stereo in your car sooner or later. It's there. It's an integral part of what goes on within our farming practices. It's on the machine from the factory. 
people within the shops are going to have to learn how to use it. So when we begin to think about recruiting, the first thing I think of is, okay, so how long are these guys normally in this business? And when you go back and look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you find out that over the last five years, the average employment tenure was only 4.7 years. And that's not just in agriculture, that's, that's across the board. That's every industry. And from males 24 to 34, that employment tenure drops to only three years. And when we look at precision ag specialists, it drops even further. So how do we as dealerships, how do we invest the time, the money, and the resources into a person and ask them to stay and continue to do this job and try and get our money's worth out of what we've put into it as an investment? So it's a tough call. It really is. But one of the things that I heard Adam say earlier on in his presentation was the fact that somewhere along the line, he needed to figure out how in the world he could get his guys back to having a life. And that's a big piece of what we have to do from a dealership standpoint. We have to set parameters. We have to set guidelines. That's not saying that every one of our specialists are going to follow those guidelines. But for us, we try and set those guidelines to be able to make sure that they continue to have a family life and have a life at home so that we don't burn them out in 18 to 24 months. So when we think about recruiting, there's, there's no really no silver bullet here. Um, when you look at recruiting, culture drives some of this pro process for all of us in a given area. Uh, we're a large nine-store Case IH dealership that covers Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, and Virginia. So across those nine stores, I can go from one store and drive uh, 100 miles to the next store, and the culture completely changes within that individual, those, those two stores. So what works at one doesn't necessarily work at another. So you have to be able to adapt depending on how many different locations you have and where you're hiring a certain person for or recruiting a person for. And that culture around that store will drive some of those decisions. But you still have a set of core values that your business is built upon. And those core values are an absolute foundation. It's just like Steve was talking about earlier about not having a solid foundation for data. The same thing holds true here when we're recruiting people to, to take positions within the dealership. We have to revert back to those core values and not vary from them. And just because it works in one doesn't mean that it's going to work in another area. So our first thing for us is we've, de we've developed a whole list of attributes that we're looking for in a certain recruit. Now, again, it depends on which store he's going to go to, what position we're going to put him, put him into, those attributes may change slightly, but the core attributes that we're looking for don't change. We prioritize those different attributes into what's absolutely primary that we have to see and what's secondary. Now the secondary piece of it, you got to give yourself a little bit of flexibility in it because not everybody's going to meet every piece of 
criteria that you have. So your primary attributes, and this is, again, I'm speaking from our perspective here. Not everything that I'm going to say is going to work for you, but as a whole, these core values need to be an absolute foundation for your business. First of all, that I first thing I look for is attitude. Um, when we talk about getting a, a recruit into a room or talking to a recruit about whether or not uh, our business might fit his career path, the first thing I look at is his attitude. Um, his attitude tells me a lot when he walks into the room or when I get to talking to him. So that's, that's number one. His personality type has got to enter into that. The next one is a big one. His willingness to learn and his willingness to work. This one within our agricultural sector, each one of us know that this isn't a seven to five job. There's no piece of agriculture that's seven to five. So if this guy's not willing to work, if he doesn't show me that, that he's got that self-motivated attitude and that he's willing to put in the time, he's willing to listen, he's willing to, willing to work, and he's, he's got that ability to learn, he's probably not going to fit in a precision ag role and he's probably not going to fit in a shop technician's role. That's not to say maybe he won't fit somewhere else, but if that's the two positions that I'm looking for, he probably is not a good fit. His social skills. For most of you, if you're a, if you're a precision ag specialist, you know that we're a whole lot of things try to wrap up into one. You gotta be a salesman. You gotta be somebody that's willing to get your hand, hands dirty. And you gotta be a technician. You gotta be able to troubleshoot. If you try and look at those three attributes and those three only, that's a tough call. That's a really hard person to find, really hard. His cleanliness and his mechanical aptitude, those are two more things that I look at um, naturally. Again, I'm going back to basics. And I said, these are my cores, these are my primaries. And he walks into the room, this is gonna tell me a lot about how much further I'm going to go down that list of secondary attributes before I say this guy doesn't fit or this guy does. So the secondary attributes, again, we go back to that culture thing. There's, uh, <laughs> I could go back and I can name you two of my stores where the culture is just, I mean, it's off the charts different. It's just so unbelievably different that if you walk from one store and walk into the other, you'd think that when a customer walks in the front door that he's absolutely, he's so mad at the guys in the shop, he's not. That's just, that's just the way they are around that store. So the culture here drives some of these secondary attributes. Does he have a farming background? Um, this is one of the things that, that we find means quite a bit from the very start. It's not a deal breaker, but it does mean a tremendous amount from the very start because number one, if he has a farming background, he automatically understands what farming is about. He understands that it's not seven to five. He understands there's gonna be seasons, there's gonna be ebbs and flow, and in a workflow, so on and so forth. So he's already got a background. His college degree, here's a piece that um, we struggle with, we really do. 
uh, because as time goes along, I see that there's going to be a whole lot more technical school or two-year degrees that are going to fit this bill just as well as what we've been looking for all along in four-year degrees. Uh, because first of all, the people that within our shops need that technical school degree to get basic hydraulic, basic electrical, schematics, so on and so forth. They're not getting in a four-year degree in a college. And along with that, there's not too many colleges right now that are even, even offering even a four-year degree that really gives them a basis or a background in some of the things that are happening in precision ag. So the type of college degree, here's where you're going to have to decide for yourself whether you need to have a two-year degree, four-year degree. Does a technical school fill those requirements? Does it fit the bill for what you're looking for? His grade point average at graduation. I don't put a lot of stock in this, but if you look at his grade point average, this will give you a pretty good indication whether he has the ability to learn and the willingness to work at it. And then his resume. Naturally, his resume is going to tell you a lot about his background and so on and so forth. But again, these are secondary attributes that uh, kind of take second place. We'll get right back to Ken's discussion in a moment, but I did want to again thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations grow opportunities for your customers, and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Listening to Ken's thoughts so far, he candidly notes that there's no silver bullet when it comes to finding the perfect fit for a precision hire. Finding someone who is going to embrace a dealership's culture and core values is critical. Attitude is the first attribute Ken measures when evaluating a candidate, and with precision specialists often being the face of a dealership and primary touchpoint for farm customers, it makes sense to hire someone who can handle both praise and pressure. Let's get back to the program now, hear more from Ken with some insight on best recruiting practices. And when you're recruiting, there's tons of different ways you can recruit. Um, believe me, I, we don't have this thing all figured out. We, we continue to look at all kinds of things to find quality people to put in places within the dealership because it's becoming harder and harder and harder to find those qualified people. But word of mouth is probably one of the most effective ways to get those recruits. I mean, we all have things that we do at church. We've got social connections. We've got civic organizations we work with and customers. Although customers sometimes taking on a, a youth or a kid from one of our better customers is a pretty fine line to draw. Um, 
there's a fine line there to be drawn as to whether or not you want to take that risk because you take the risk of alienating a really, really good customer if that kid doesn't work out. I'm not, I'm not saying we discount that completely, but I'm saying you have to be very, very careful when you do that. High school FFA chapters. Here's one th place I think that we we kind of drop the ball. Um, we just partnered with three other dealerships in our area, and we got six high schools within our area to partner with us, and we're trying to develop some sort of a curriculum within their FFA programs to give these kids some sort of a basis into what's going to happen in the coming years within an agricultural dealership for a CCA, for a CCC, for a, a crop consultant, for an agronomist, whatever. And it's being backed by the Pennsylvania State Department of Agriculture. So we'll see where this program goes over the next two years, and we'll see whether or not we can actually get a curriculum into our high schools. But one of the things that we felt that we needed to do was we needed to show the kids at the high school level what kind of career paths they have available to them from that point on so that they've got a better idea of, of what college to choose and what career path that they want to pursue within those college courses. And then, again, university ag programs. Uh, get involved with the universities around you. Uh, we've been involved with Penn State, Virginia Tech, University of Maryland, University of Delaware, Delaware Valley College, Get involved in some of their agricultural programs and get to know some of the profs within those programs. Uh, they can be a great source of, of information for you when you're looking for a certain person. Agricultural publications, that's another good way of, of getting recruits. Um, internships, there was a session here yesterday just dealing with internships and how we treat them, how we look at them, how, how we actually get kids in the door, what do we expect of them, so on and so forth. So an internship is a really good way of evaluating uh, a kid in, in high school. It's a good way of evaluating a kid in a college program. But you've got to know what your expectations are for him before you bring him in. And then online recruiting websites. Uh, you've got different ones. Perkin Associates, agcareers.com. There's different ones out there that you can use. It's going to take more than one encounter with that person, though. More than likely, because he's probably got a, a multitude of places where he can go and actually do an internship. And it's going to take more than one encounter with him to try and convince him that your business is where he needs to come. Uh, you need to be honest and realistic with him and don't sugarcoat the job. Tell him exactly how it is. Be completely honest with him. Tell him up front, this job might entail 17 hours a day. I mean, when, we're, when we come spring planning season, there's, it's not unusual. And I think most of you can attest to this. 17-hour day isn't out of the realm of possibilities. And that may happen for two weeks while we're in that season, he needs to know that. He needs to know what the expectations are for him when he comes in. Spell out his opportunities. If you feel that you've got opportunities for him to move on from that point, spell those out to him. Make it interesting. Uh, don't make it sound boring. 
don't discuss his wages right away. I've often said that if the first question he asks me is, how much does it pay? It's probably not somebody I'm going to take in as a recruit. Because if that's the only thing that he's concerned about, uh, he's probably not going to be a fit. So, again, don't discuss them. Sooner or later, you're going to have to. But I don't think it's necessary for us to discuss that with him right away. And stress the team concept. This is something that, at the, through the Hoover organization, that we stress very, very highly. From the day you come in, um, one of the things that you'll hear around each one of our dealerships is there's no I in Hoover and there's no I in team. It's a complete team concept. And I think if you stress that to your individuals that come in, it gives them the foundation that they need to, be, to understand exactly how your organization is run. And don't make promises you can't keep. Um, this is a big one. We've seen this with other guys that have went to other dealerships in other areas. They were promised all kinds of things, didn't end up getting it. Two or three years later, uh, they're back and they're asking if we've got a position open. So don't make promises that you can't keep to them. So now that we got them, now how do we keep them? Uh, this one's a little harder. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as hard to get them as it is maybe to keep them. Because if they're, a, if they're an individual that really does a good job, really gets a good rapport with your customer base, his name gets around. And there will be other opportunities for him. So, again, for us, it's instilled a team concept. Again, don't make promises you can't keep to him. And make him feel like he's contributing to the team. Um, for us, we have team meetings every Friday morning. Make him feel like he's a part of that team. Uh, reward him along with everybody else for meeting those team goals. And those team goals aren't all just about money. Uh, there's other ways, there's other goals to be able to put in front of an intern or in, in front of a, a new employee to help him feel like he's, he's helping the team to meet those goals. Pay him an honest wage. This one, uh, it's hard to tackle this one because what I pay him may be totally different than what you, one of you pays him in your given area. So you've got to do the research. You've got to figure out what you need to pay him and to try and keep him. Allow him to give input into some of the decisions. If you're getting together for a team meeting and you're making a decision that you're going to go on a certain path or you're going to take on a certain product, allow him to help make those decisions. Allow him to give his input. And help them to see the long-term opportunities. If there are none at that point, be frank with him. Tell him that, that at, at that point there's no long-term opportunities. But if there are three, five, seven years down the road, make him aware of those. So that he's got a goal in mind and he knows that he's, you've got his best interests in mind. And allow him to be creative. I mean, some of the best things that have come out of some of our precision ag texts are things that were really off the wall. Uh, things that I, I, nobody would have ever thought of, and it's like, okay, uh, why don't we take that project on? Let's let's try it. Let's see once what happens. Uh, yeah, it takes time, takes resources, takes investment, but if you put your time and your investment into it and it works out, 
it can be some of the best things and the best ideas that you ever you can ever come up with. And then on top of it all, if you make him a promise, make sure you fulfill it. Do your yearly performance reviews. Uh, this is one thing that in my generation, when I was in the shop, I'll give you a little bit of history on myself. This is my 40th year with this, this organization. And I started out in the shop as a mechanic for 27 years on combines. So when I was in the shop, we never had performance reviews. I don't think I had one in 25 years. But the generation today, they want them. At least that's what we've found. They want to know how they're doing. They want to know whether they're meeting expectations and whether or not they're doing the job that they need to do. So these performance reviews seem to be something that's, that, that's very much wanted by the kids that are coming out of college today. So show them where they're excelling. And if they're not, if there's an area that they can improve, tell them where they can improve and give them the tools or give them the ideas as to how they can improve themselves in that area. So those are the things that have worked for us as a dealership. Um, I feel we've been pretty successful in, in recruiting and retaining our precision ag specialists. Um, our precision ag specialists, I, we have, uh, I was going to say we have 11, we have 10 today. I lost one yesterday. <laughs> but he's getting married and moving back to where his wife's family is, so I can't argue with that one. But <clears throat> we've had some of our precision ag specialists now for going on eight years. Um, and he's the first one that we've lost since 2005. So I feel that what we're doing, we've been pretty successful out. We, again, we have by no means have all the answers. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we can improve, and there may be some ways that we're going to have to change in the future. But I feel like if we go back to those core concepts and we fulfill whatever our core values are first, I think everything else will work its way out. So again, thank you to Precision Farming Dealer Magazine, and thank you guys for all coming, because what it shows me is that there's a lot of people in this room that are committed. If you weren't committed to precision agriculture, you wouldn't be here. So thank you. Well, thank you to Ken Diller for sharing his lessons learned and advice for finding and keeping the next generation of precision farming specialists. Those listeners who would like to see more of Ken's presentation mentioned during this program, please visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com slash podcasts. A big takeaway for me today is that to achieve stability within your precision department or business, you need to have a plan in place. And this starts with knowing where to recruit new talent and then how to develop, encourage, and reward it for a job well done. As Ken noted, burnout is an ongoing issue among specialists and creating a collaborative culture where those individuals can succeed can go a long way in keeping them employed at your dealership. Well, again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, and feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com. 
or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And again, if you haven't done so already, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store, and this will allow you to get an alert when future episodes in this series are released. And you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Finally, another reminder and invitation to come out to the second Precision Farming Dealer Summit coming up on January 9th and 10th in St. Louis. Theme of this dealer-only event is Proven Business Blueprints and will feature a mix of general sessions panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. For more information and to view the complete agenda and speaker lineup, visit www.precisionsummit.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on October 20th for the next episode in our 2016 podcast series, Turning Lessons Learned into Precision Profit, when Tim Norris, CEO of Ag InfoTech, will detail how trial and error have helped hone his management skills and run a more profitable precision farming business. For Ken Diller, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.